0: Would you open up your Bibles to Galatians 1, 6 through 10? I have a quick question for you as we begin. And the question is this. As a pastor, is it immature? Is uh, Is it wrong to show emotions? For instance... Is it wrong if I would show astonishment or even anger at people that go to our church where I just just verbally express my anger? Is that wrong or should I be stoic and just not say anything? My contention is this. After what we're going to read today, I contend that sometimes emotions are very appropriate. But to me, they are signs that we are thinking correctly. Sometimes, when the people you love are being abused, or controlling people are controlling people, or when the world is upside down and you want to set it back right, you, you, you tend to get a little emotional. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 10. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, condemned, anathema. As we have said before, so I say now again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray You'll take this passage. And open our eyes to just how incredible the gospel is. And help us, Father, to stand strong on it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we begin, I just have to be very personal with you. This is one of those passages of scripture that made me who I am after I got saved. And I thank God for it. And my, I'm, I'm excited about this passage, but I hope it has the power to change your life like it did mine. I know some of you are very familiar with this, but... To me, it's, you, know, you could say this is basics, but this is so important. Here's the situation. Paul's angry. He's hot, actually. Very upset. In most of his letters, Paul starts off with greetings and thanks. I thank God for you, but not here. The very first thing he says, I'm shocked. I'm astonished. Because there's a situation going on that is making him mad. The situation involves two groups of people. First of all, the Galatians. The Galatians are the people he loves. Actually, when he went to give them the Gospel, they embraced it. And it says they took care of Paul. They loved Paul. What we're going to see is he was sick and they took care of him. And they really, really embraced the Gospel. However, they are very young. They were newbies in the faith. And because of that, they were easily manipulable. Manipulated. They were manipulable. How do you say that? That's a hard word. They're easily to be manipulated. They were they were easy to be changed of their position. And there was a group that came in that changed them, and they are called the Judaizers. The reason why I have the Galatians looking like a Scottish guy. I remember last week I said they went up to France and went up to Ireland. I said, This is kind of the Irish gospel. But anyhow, the Pharisees came in, but not just the Pharisees, the Judaizers. And they said, sure, you need to believe in Jesus, but you need, you need also to be obedient to the law. Specifically, you need to be circumcised to prove you're one of the covenant people. They were very intelligent. They were very persuasive. They were all very intimidating men. Incredibly intimidating. They're the kind of men that always got their way because they were just right. They knew where they were right. They paid their dues. They studied the Word. They were scribes. And they had an air of authority. I've come, a lot, I've come across a lot of these kind of men and women. A lot of them are Baptist pastors, actually, that are kind of intimidating and they, they kind of talk like that. And If you don't do what they say, you could be in big trouble. I have personal that's just my personal experience. It might not be yours, but I'm telling you, these men could persuade. And if you didn't do what they said, you kind of felt like you were wrong and sinful. Here's the situation. In the newness of their faith, the Galatians could not see what they were already standing on. Look at verse 6. I am astonished. I'm shocked that you were so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. So they were already standing on the grace of Christ. the firm foundation. They were already saved. They were doing fine. But because of their immaturity, they believed the lies that they were not secure. They might not be as secure as they thought, so they started to defect. The word right there says deserting them or defect and they were defecting to what the Judaizers were teaching. And this made Paul mad. Why did it make him mad? Because they were going back to the ground that wasn't solid. Actually, what we're going to find out, the Judaizers were standing on condemnation. They weren't standing on firm ground. They were standing on condemnation. What's interesting, if you look in verse 6, it says, quickly, deserting. The word deserting is in... The present tense. And it says turning later in verse 6, present tense. Verse 7 it says, some who trouble you. Meaning at the time of the writing, these people were starting to defect. That word desert or defect literally means to be kind of like a Benedict Arnold to Christ. You're changing loyalties. Look at verse 6 again. It says, God has called you. He's set you apart. He's called you out, put you on grace, and now you're leaving? You're leaving Him? It's like you are changing loyalties. And this is making Paul mad. So he's ready for a fight. He wants to stop this germ of legalism from infecting everybody. Because he knows it takes you off of your firm foundation." Over the years, I can't tell you how many people have come to our church, come to my youth group, sat under our ministries, and got excited about the gospel of grace alone. It's exciting. However, in their desire to make sure they were doing enough to please God, because, you know, faith alone seems too easy, actually. I remember going to Russia and I'd teach faith alone, and they have histories of Eastern Orthodoxy. And they would say stuff like, Yours is just so easy, so watered down. You've got to add more to it. A lot of people feel that way. They'll, they'll go back then to the traditions they grew up in because I'll tell you why. It feels safer to try to earn God's favor than to just receive it. It feels safer to work for your salvation than just trusting the Word of God. I'm going to be using this phrase a lot throughout this message. What, what the Judaizers came to promote is one thing. They want you to work harder and do more. Work harder and do more. That's the slogan of the Judaizers. You'll hear me keep saying it in a second. So let's jump into the rest of this passage. And I just want to prelude it by saying, we are all thirsty people. We've been designed that way. Not just for water. If you don't drink water for three days, you're going to be in big trouble. And so God has physically made you thirsty. He spiritually made you thirsty as well. That's how He designed us. He has designed us to live off of God as the water for our soul. Physical water helps our nourishment. Spiritual water is the Spirit of God. We've been designed to have Him live in us. And so because of that, some of the signs that you can tell people are thirsty... Is there searching for meaning? Why am I on this earth? What am I doing here? How do I get saved? And can I be sure that the one in heaven is pleased with me? That's a sign of thirst. I want to know. Deep down, I'm okay with God. God has made us that way. Even atheists believe their life matters. If they didn't, why do they try so hard to prove that it doesn't? To me, that's ironic. Your life doesn't matter, but yet you will argue me tooth and nail that it doesn't matter? No, my life has no meaning and it doesn't matter. So if it has no meaning, then what you said does it have any meaning? It's crazy. No, it's because we know we matter. There's meaning. And so what God has done is He, has, he quenches our physical body with water in the same way he has given us an answer for our spiritual thirst, and it's called the Gospel. And he says, drink it. Therefore, being justified by faith, I have peace with God. Romans 5.1 The Gospel gives me peace with God. It gives me knowledge of who I am, why I've been made, and what my future holds. The Gospel gives me everything. We can have peace with God. But the Judaizers came in and they said, "That's great, you know, I mean, not much to it. That's great. It needs a little bit of something. It needs more." So what they do is they, they pull something out here. They got a little bit of something to add to it. It doesn't look like much. And then they just they say, "You need to add a little bit more. It's not enough, so they add some more to it poison it's poison so they add a little bit more to it and Paul says as the galatians start to get ready to drink it don't drink that why cuz look at verse 7 actually the end of verse 6 it's different it's a different gospel in the Greek, that word is heteros. Heteros means of another kind. Not the same thing. It's Not the same thing at all. That's why in the beginning of verse 7, Paul says, "There's not that there's another one. They're, they're turning to a different Gospel and he says it like this. Not, not that there's another one. There's only one water. There's only one H2O. Here it is. You can't add to it. There's not another one. The Gospel, the best way to put it, the Gospel is comprehensively and exhaustively good news. It's all good. It's completely good. Jesus is good news. And so if you add to it, if it's already fully good, the only thing you can add to it must be bad. Must be. It's like a... It's like your, dog want, your kid wants a dog, but you give him a cat. It's not the same kind of animal. Not even close. Not even close. So when someone's thirsty, when it comes to faith, I can give him water. Give me water or give me death. No, that's liberty or give me death. I can give him water. I can give him death. That's the point. That's why Paul's so mad. The problem is, this looks still like water a little bit. That's the problem with the, the Judaizers' Gospel. It still looks like water, because Jesus is still included. Yeah, but it has arsenic in it to kill you. I call this the great perversion. Look what it says in verse 7 at the end. It says, not that there's another one, but there's some who trouble you. I mean, they're saying, you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. That's not enough. That's not enough. They're troubling you. And so they distort the Gospel of Christ. The NIV will say pervert it, which means completely transform it to the opposite of what it was meant to be. It's not another. it's a, a It it's, turns it upside on its head. It's not. It's different. So Paul's astonished because they're giving up the full good news that they already had and are li- listening to devious men who can only offer perverted bad news. I'll show you what I mean exactly. Okay, so I've got... I'm going to show you two sides. More specifically, let's break it down. The Gospel. What is it? What is this? Very clearly, it's faith in Jesus alone. Who is Jesus? Listen to who Jesus is. He's the fullness of God. So in Jesus is all the fullness of the Godhead, Colossians. And he fulfilled all of God's promises completely. So in Jesus is everything. Here he is. Is he enough? He's the fullness of God, and he's completed everything God asked him to do completely. 1 Corinthians 15 gets very specific. He says he showed it to us. By this gospel you are saved. According to the Scriptures, Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He was, he was testified about by the Scriptures. He was seen by all the apostles and by 500 of the brothers. That's a more, what I would say, Some people say truncated. I'm not going to say truncated. That was the visible gospel in the flesh. A person named Jesus. That's this. Alright, so then what is this? Here's what this is. It's Jesus plus. Yes, you need to believe all this. Of course you do. Of course you do. See, so... Looks like they're good guys. Sure, I believe them. I, you can even talk to them and they believe Jesus actually rose from the dead. Yeah, that's good. See, see, they're on the same team. But it's lacking. You need to add. You need to obey the law. Follow the dietary laws. Respect the holy days. Don't work on the Sabbath. Don't cut lawn on Sunday. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. uh uh-uh. uh-uh. You need to join a covenant community through the sign of circumcision or through infant baptism, if you prefer. Both are needed faith and performance. Faith and here's the question. It says, This saves. This some the gospel people believe that this saves. And these people believe Jesus plus saves. The question is, and what does saved mean? Here's what saved means. You need to understand this. Saved means delivered from three things. I'm delivered. I'm rescued from three things. I'm rescued from His wrath. I'm rescued from my sin. And I'm rescued from this present evil age. Look at verse 4 of Galatians. That's he talking about Jesus. Grace to you and peace. So I have peace from, with God so that means I'm, sa- I'm no longer under His anger. Who gave Himself for our sins. So Jesus took our sins. And He delivered us from this present evil age. Meaning this age wants to corrupt us. And through Christ, I am shielded. I actually can change the world. So being saved means delivered from wrath. And that's, this is very important. You've got to think through it. Because each of these, and here's the kicker. Each of these have a different person doing the saving. In this one, Jesus plus, you know who does the saving? Or Jesus alone? Jesus alone does the saving. He's the one that saves me from God's wrath. He's the one that saves me from my sin. He's the one that saves me from this present evil age. And so by faith he changes me. So what does this mean? When I believe in Jesus alone, look what I get. I am certain about three things. I'm certain. That means I'm sure of this. And this is where joy comes in. I am sure. Right now, my standing with God is certain. I'm sure of it. That He's at peace with me. I know it. When you believe in Jesus, you are considered righteous. You are declared righteous. You made it. You win the prize. Game's over. It's done. I'm standing on solid ground. Second thing about this is my future is assured. Heaven is both now, when the Spirit of God enters me, but it will last forever. He rose from the grave, and because He rose from the grave, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. When I believe in Jesus, I'm in Jesus, so that means I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father now. Why do you want to mess with that? But here's the best part. That means his favor towards me is assured. Here's the slogan for this side. When I drink this, I know three things. He loves me, he likes me, and he's always for me. It's funny, when my dad grew up, he's a salesman, he said, Chris, when you go into sales, what you've got to do is you've got to kind of gear yourself up the cell. So he'd say, every morning, look in the mirror. and You might have heard me say this before. My dad was kind of nuts, but he'd make me do this. Every morning, look in the mirror and look at yourself and say this. Boy, am I enthusiastic. I'm healthy, I'm happy, and I feel terrific. And he says, don't leave that bathroom until you really feel that way. Boy, am I enthusiastic. Try saying that at five in the morning. It's terrible, but I used to do it. My college roommate goes, what are you saying in there? Boy, am I enthusiastic. Try saying it without not smiling. It's impossible not to say it without smiling after three times. I want to change that. I'm going to encourage all of you in the morning to say this. Look in the mirror and say, He loves me. He likes me. And He's always, 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 for me, that will change you. You might not sell anything, but that will change you. Really? It will. So how about the perverted gospel? Who does the save you've got to think through this in the perverted gospel, who does the saving? If more needs to be done, if this isn't enough, then Jesus isn't enough. huh? Think about it. Who does the saving? Who saves me from God's wrath? Well, Jesus went a little bit, but now it's up to me to save me from God's wrath. What? It really is. It's also up to me to keep, you know, through willpower, through self-discipline, through hard work, I've got I to gotta stop sinning. And then... To save me from this present evil age, I've got to train my mind. You know what the old saying goes. God helps those who help themselves. So I'm really helping myself. And if I quit trying, I'm done. He's done helping me. So who's really doing the saving? Yeah, Jesus did some, but really it's up to me. That's the problem with this. It's really me. I'll give you two examples. Well, before we go there, before we go there, the slogan of this is, if I'm, I, if I'm the one doing it, I never know when enough is enough. I never know it. Because if it's up to me, I never know when enough is enough. And that gets exhausting. Because I never know when God's pleased with me. I never know if I'm really going to make it to heaven. Because people will say, you know what heaven is? It's if you do more good things than bad. How do I know? I don't know. And then I don't really, if I sin, then is He mad at me again? So His favor is really not for me. So here's the slogan on this is work harder, do more. Work harder, do more. Work harder, do more. Work harder, do more. What I'm going to ha- I am going gonna—I was going to have you do, you know, like in the Bud Light, less filling, taste great. I'm going to have you yell at each other. I might do that second service. You guys are too kind of tired this morning. Because you're not working hard enough. You're not awake enough. Do you ever go to those churches where they say, come on, let's hear you sing louder. If you don't sing louder, what kind of... Don't you guys love Jesus? <sighs> sing louder. Oh, that's pitiful. The first service sang a lot better than you. Did you ever go to those kind of churches? Work harder. Sing more because God's up there. He's mad at you if you don't sing loud. I didn't hear those guys down there. What in the world? You're always feeling guilt. You come into church to feel built up and you're always leaving guilty. My tie didn't match today. I'm like, what is that? Jesus is enough. Let me give you some backup. I'm going to give you historical and then personal backup. Go to Acts 15. Acts 15 actually is the result of the book of Galatians. But watch, I want you to follow. Watch, it's so simple. Acts 15, it should have a title, the Jerusalem Council. Jerusalem Council is one of the very first church councils where they were deciding on doctrine. It was in the city of Jerusalem. And the new church was getting together because the gospel spreading, so they want to codify it a little bit. And there were some mad people. Verse 1. Some men came down from Judea. And as I read this, tell me, what are they promoting? Which one are they promoting, the men from Judea? Jesus or the Jesus Plus? Here we go. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. What are they promoting? Plus, what are they adding to faith alone? See, they're adding. Keep reading. This is uh, verse 2 talks about how Paul and Barnabas were mad, man. They had no small dissension. They debated with them. They were angry at this. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done. Look at verse 5, but some believers... So they are believers in Jesus who belong to the party of the Pharisees. They rose up and they said, it is necessary. That means you must circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Is that Jesus or Jesus plus? That's Jesus plus. They they ordered them. Keep reading in verse 6, the apostles and elders were gathered to consider this matter. Hmm, which one? Which one do we want? Jesus or Jesus plus? After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that my, by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed, them, cleansed their hearts by faith. Which one cleansed their hearts, Jesus or Jesus plus? Just Jesus, faith alone. That cleansed them. That's enough. And then verse ten says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke. That means adding the law on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we could be able to bear. It was just we never knew when enough was enough. And we couldn't do it anymore. So why are you? You are you are making God mad, is what they're saying. I'll give you my personal story. Are you ready? I'll go through it pretty quick. Here it is. It's the story of Christopher J. Weeks from 1966 to present. And I'm Christopher J. Weeks, by the way, if you didn't know that. Here it is. Baptized as a baby in 1966 into the Catholic faith. I took First Communion in third grade in 1975. I made sure I did the best I could to make it every single Sunday so God would not get mad that I did not make communion. I had a Polish grandma that insisted I only eat fish on Fridays, especially during Lent. I had a teacher named Sister Joan of Arc that made us go to the confessional booth each Friday. I had a German grandma and grandfather who started going to a shrine in Wisconsin, telling us after they went there that we needed to say the rosary every day and attend church at least three times a week. I wore a St. Christopher medal given to me by my grandparents, and I wore it for ten years. It helped me survive in this world. I was an altar boy to show how serious my faith was. I was confirmed in the eighth grade in 1980. I took confirmation name of Joshua, kind of ashamed of this. It's because I thought the Ten Commandments by Cecil B. DeMille was loved by God and Joshua was a stonecutter, and I liked that guy. I wouldn't have muscles like that. So my confirmation name was Joshua. I know you think I'm strange. I'm telling you the truth. You're weird too. Anyhow, went to a Catholic university. It was devoted to the Mother Mary. I spent every Sunday going to chapel with my Polish grandma, and it also showed I was better than my fraternity buddies who slept in every Sunday. And she assured me. You're a good Christian boy, Chris. At the age of 22, I was not sure if I was really pleasing to God because my lifestyle was horrible. But I was exhausted of religion and I quit. Because I never knew when enough was enough. A crisis point came into my life the next year. My life was a mess. So I pulled my car over on Highway 44, I confessed all my sin, and I asked Christ to be my God. I believed the gospel. I became different from that point on. I started hearing, however, different confusing voices that were excited for my newfound faith, but behind their joy, I could hear the hint, you now need to work harder and do more. You could kind of hear it. Here's what I read between the lines. Chris, do you really want to please God? All right, here's your list. Stop watching R-rated movies. Quit listening to secular rock and roll. Abstain from alcohol. Cut your hair. Read only 1611. Try evangelizing every week, especially Saturday mornings with buses. Dress right on Sunday. Dress right on Sunday night. Take a nap in the afternoon. Dress right Wednesday night. I went to a conference, and I remember this really holy man came up to me and he said, have you received the... Second baptism. I said, Oh no. Then son, I'm not sure you're saved. I was confused. Then I started really listening around the church and I, I started hearing that the missionaries and the pastors, they were they were kinda better. I just heard that. I don't know if I believed it. I went into the ministry. Became a youth pastor first and a pastor, and then there was a subtle undercurrent. Even as a pastor in our conservative evangelical denominations, Christian need to work harder and do more. Those other pastors they have altar calls. Those other pastors are growing like weeds. The other pastors are more successful. Those other pastors wear blue blazers with ties. Those other pastors wear penny loafers. Those other pastors... It tires you out. And I'm telling you, work harder. Do more. Work harder. Do more. Actually, I didn't, I didn't put it in here, but I read this book called Luther's Dis- Heidelberg Disputation. I read that book, and I'm telling you, it set me free to say, Chris, be you. But I think all of us are still infected with that a little bit. I don't think there is a day that we don't deal with that work harder. Do more. I received a letter from a good friend this past week that said, There isn't a day that goes by that I feel God's hand of discipline on me. I've asked for forgiveness, and yet the pain is still there. I feel so unworthy. And what I hear this person saying, I'm not sure I'm working hard enough, good enough, consistent enough. Do you know what this is? This is Jesus Plus. In other words, when you really get down to the foundation of Jesus Plus teaching, Jesus and His payment was not enough. And if this is true, then Jesus can't really save. You know what that really is? Actually, Jesus fully saves. What this is, is this is not Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians. This is shocking. I remember the first time I read this. I didn't understand it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verses two through four. Paul's mad at the Corinthians too. He's really mad at them. He got mad a lot. So, Boyd, maybe I should. What are you wearing that flannel shirt here for? Anyhow, <laughs> second, <laughs> second Corinthians chapter eleven. Look at two through four. Just listen to these words. Remember the first time I read it, I didn't get it, but it takes a while. This is Jesus he's mad at Jesus plus. For I, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Paul's jealous for his people. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That means a non-polluted, singular faith in Christ. Verse 4, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. A different gospel? Yes, heteros. Not a gospel at all. Now do you see why Paul is angry? Because this kind of gospel is straight from the pit of hell. I'll show you how I can say that. Look at Galatians Back to chapter one. Look at verses eight and nine. Paul hates this gospel. He says, "But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary, contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be condemned, accursed, anathema." As we said before, so now I say again: If anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed, condemned. Anathema. How can apostles speak like this? Is Paul the question is, is Paul wanting people to be damned? If he is, what kind of Christian is this? After doing some study, one writer said, Paul's not throwing down a curse, he's not cursing the Pharisees, but rather he's confirming a condition they are in. These people are leading you astray, is what he's saying. But yet they are the ones who are alienated by God or from God by their sin. They are under his curse, so don't listen to them. They're already standing in a cursed position. Let them stay condemned. You, get away from them. He's not saying, I curse them, I want them to go to hell forever. He's saying they are cursed. Stay away. So even if a person seems sophisticated, brilliant, wise, holy, or it's an angel trying to sell you the Jesus plus gospel, don't drink it. It's poison. It's straight from the pit of hell. It's like taking arsenic-laced water and just putting it in a different container. For instance, let's say, i got some different containers. Let's say, it's my dear mom. And my, my dear mom believes the gospel plus. If I put it in her container, I can now drink it, right? Because it's my dear mom. No, it's still got poison in it. Okay, okay. What if it's, oh, it's from somebody from a cool country like Jamaica or India. What if they're Hindu or Buddhist? You know? Because you don't want to judge people. So we just take the Jesus plus. Really, they throw Jesus out and they just give you the plus. How about that? I'll be fine, won't I? No, it's got poison in it. Poison doesn't change. Well, what if it's a really cool guy? You know, there's cool evangelicalism now. Is you know, missional. And this is kind of a cool Contigos are cool. You know, we've got to be more about than just believing. We've got to be doing, man. We've got to be cooler, more hip. I'm going to drink this, right? still got poison. Don't drink it. Don't drink it. Even if it's an angel who shows up to Joseph Smith with golden tablets, don't drink it. I'll tell you, this is easier said than done. Sometimes the very people wanting to drink the Jesus plus gospel are the people you admire, you grew up with, you've known your whole life, and they wouldn't steer you wrong. That's why Paul wrote verse 10. Verse 10 is powerful. And verse 10 is in line with the Gospel. And he says, "For Am I now seeking the approval of man? I'm not writing this to seek your approval. It's obvious. He's cursing them, so he doesn't care. Um, Or am I here to please God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, basically he's saying, Jesus wouldn't want me. I'm not, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ because I'd be doing with the Pharisee. I'm trying to impress those guys with the robes or my grandma who'll hit me with a rolling pin if I don't go to church with her. I want to finish with a story. listen closely. A woman who was with her little babe was on this is true by the way, not that one. Go back yep. Yeah. A woman who was with her little babe was on a train going up through one of the eastern states. It was a very wintry day. Outside, a terrific storm was blowing, snow was falling, and sleet covered everything. The train made its way along slowly because of the ice on the tracks, and the snowplow went ahead to clear the way. The woman seemed very nervous. She was to get off at a small station where she would be met by some friends. And she said to the conductor, You'll be sure and and let me know the right station, won't you? Certainly, he said. Just remain here till I tell you the right station. She sat rather nervously and again spoke to the conductor, You won't forget me. No, just trust me. I'll tell you when to get off. A businessman sat across the aisle and he leaned over and he said, Uh, Pardon me, but I, uh, I see you're rather nervous about getting off at your station. I know this road well. Your station is the first stop after such and such a city. These conductors are very forgetful. They have a great many things to attend to. And he may overlook your request, but I will see that you get off all right. I will help you with your baggage. Oh, thank you, she said. She leaned back, greatly relieved. By and by, the name of the city she mentioned was called. He leaned over and he said, the next stop will be yours. As they drew near the station, she looked around anxiously for the conductor, but he did not come. Ah, you see, said the man, he's forgotten you. I'll get you off. And he helped her with her baggage. And as the conductor had not come to open the door, he opened it. And when the train stopped, he stepped off, lifted her bag, helped her off. And in a moment, the train moved on. A few minutes later, the conductor came and, looking all about, said, Why, that's strange. There's a woman here who wanted to get off at this station. I wonder where she is. The businessman spoke up, and he said, Oh, yes, you forgot her, but I saw to it that she got off all right. Got off where? The conductor asked, Well, you know, when the train stopped. That was not a station. That was an emergency stop. I was looking after that woman. Why, man, you put her off in a wild country district in the midst of all this storm where there's nobody to meet her. There's only one thing to do, and although it was a rather dangerous thing, they had to reverse the engine and go back a number of miles, and then they went out to look for the woman. They searched, and they searched, and finally somebody stumbled upon her, and there she was, frozen on the ground with her little dead babe in her arms. She was the victim of wrong information. The writer goes on to say this, and listen closely. If it is such a serious thing to give people wrong information in regard to temporal things, what about the man who misleads men and women in regard to the great questions of the salvation of their immortal soul? It's poisoned. Don't drink it. And grace is more than enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you, for, thank you for Your book. It's so clear, it's so clean, and it's so crisp. It tells us everything we need to know to be sure. Help us, God, to stand on solid ground of grace, God, help us not to be moved off of it, be impressed by people who think they're impressive or look impressive or sound impressive. Help us only be impressed by your son. That's it. Thank you for the gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray.